James 4, if you have a Bible, James chapter 4, page number will be on the screen. Uh, if you picked up a Bible at the door. Labor Day weekend, how are you? <laughs> All right. Uh, it's the South, and so Labor Day weekend involves a couple big things, at least here in, in Atlanta. Football, one. Um, that didn't work out too well for me last night. Our team, our, my team. I learned long ago on this stage not to say our team, because you guys aren't necessarily the same team. Um, Okay, so that didn't work out well, but there's also another thing, uh, well, A, I hope your team did well, B, and or B, I hope that you got to see your favorite sci-fi character in the parade downtown at Dragon Con. Any Dragon Con fans in the house? No. <laughs> Jamie calls it Nerdy Graw, which I think is just the best, uh, so. <laughs> True story about Dragon Con. Uh, a few years ago, a friend of mine from church here and I were cycling one Saturday morning, and uh, we left here, and we were cycling down Peachtree, and we went into, you know, into downtown, and it's like 7.30 in the morning, and so it's empty. There's just nobody out, and we get around the Peachtree Center area, and literally, it's us on the two bikes and nothing, and so we're just spinning, just talking about how great it is outside. It's a nice, cool day, and we're just and then, like, this stormtrooper walks across the street. <laughs> and there was this moment of, like, what's in, your, what's in my water bottle? Like, what, am I seeing things? And then we, we, so we just kept going, like, okay, we'll just let that one go. You know, like, whatever. And then my friend says, I think I just saw Chewie back here. <laughs> and so we turn around, and there's, like, all these Star Wars people and then all kinds of other people uh, so that was my introduction to Dragon Con. So I still would like to go just to go. You know what I mean? Like, I want to be that guy. All right, um, that's enough time. Are you at uh, James 4? So here's the thing. As we're singing Be Thou My Vision, which we knew was on the list uh, a while back, but um, as Lindsay was singing that, I, I don't know if you were following the words or whatever on the screen, but it's a very, very heavy, heavy song. And it's like this, it, it, it feels like this prayer that God will always be enough for me. And um, living really just a few blocks north of here, right in the heart of the shopping district of Buckhead, Saturdays are the worst day to live in Buckhead. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with this, but um, I mean, I ride my bike to and from work, I mean, because it's just faster than cars uh, on this part of Peachtree, but Saturday is a, is a complete nightmare. I mean, there's just so many people. And you know what they're doing? They're going to the mall. And I'm like, there's a gap in your town too, I'm pretty sure, right? But everybody comes in to go to Linux or Phipps or whatever, and Phipps is the place you never buy anything. Because um, it's just like pretentious stores, and like you walk in, it's just like a white room with a, with a post, and this one purse right here, and like a, a lady behind the counter just brimming with arrogance, and you walk in, and you're like, you know... Uh, so that's Phipps. But the malls are packed, the shops are packed, and um, we typically don't go outside on Saturdays, or we don't come this direction, which again is just a few blocks away from our home. But it's just crazy. And, with, and Christmas, of course, is really, I mean, that's going to start in three months. And it's a zoo. And like every now and then, I'm, I, I don't want this to sound like I'm a real like overly spiritual person about things like this, but every now and then I will sort of, as I, it's mostly when I get angry at the crowds. I'm, I always 
asked in some form or fashion the question, what is it that they're looking for? You know, what is it that is so important that this place just jams up all the time for a mall, you know? And, um, and so, as Lindsay was singing that song, it was just sort of coming together for me about, I wonder if all of us at some point or another struggle with, it's like we have God, but we need other things too. Does that make sense? Like, I want God, I want all of God, but I kind of need these other things too. And the, the thing that, as you'll see from our text today, just three verses that God is calling us to, and it's a constant gut check, but he's calling us to only need him. And that's a very I kind of think it, it's going to have to be on the other end of this life where that finally comes together, but it's a constant pursuit of, okay, he's enough, he's enough for everything. And, uh, and so I want to give you that introduction as we move into really just three heavy-hitting verses. Book of James is one of those letters where you can just open it to any page, drop into a section, grab a riff, and you, you're going to get something out of it. And this is one of those, uh, does your say boasting about tomorrow above the text? Is that what it says? Okay, that's a good description. That's what mine says too. But uh, the way I did this first hour was I just went verse by verse. So I'll do the same thing. But to get us there, I want to actually read all three first, and then we'll back up and go through 13, 14, and 15. So follow along. Uh, James says, now listen, you who say, we've got quotes here, today or tomorrow, we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. That sounds very specific. <laughs> like he's quoting people, and you'll see why in a moment. Verse 14, why, and this is the uplifting part, verse 14 is the real encouraging part, why you do not even know what will happen tomorrow, what is your life, you are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. So that's the uplifting part. (laughs) Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord will, if it's the Lord's will, um, then we will live and do this or that. If it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. Again, I don't want you to be confused as we go through it. This, is, this text is ultimately about God being enough, and you'll see this in a moment. It also is deeply rooted in Sabbath, resting. And at first it appears like, let's just look at verse 13. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Again, that just sounds really, really Specific, And it is. Let me just explain a little bit about what's going on, at least in the days of James and centuries prior, was particularly in the Decapolis, the ten cities that made up the region, uh, a lot of business would take place in this way. Uh, New cities, up-and-coming cities and towns and so forth would honestly invite people into their places and help have them start businesses. The Jews were a part of this for centuries. They were great business people. Um... You know, the numbers are always off in history, especially when you're talking about thousands of years ago, but some historians, some ancient historians would say uh, that in the city of Alexandria, when that was founded, that there were some, you know, almost a million Jewish people living there simply because they were brought there to make, you know, to start businesses and make money and get commerce going. And so, given, you know, given some time and in the days of when James is writing this, it would not have been uncommon for at least businessmen in the Jewish world to have these conversations with these very lines. Like, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to cut line here, and then next, you know, tomorrow we're going to go to this city or that city or that town. I'm going to stay for a year, make some money, and then I'll do the next thing. 
And so it wasn't uncommon for them to say things like this because that's kind of the way that many business people live. They just transient. We'll go here, make some money, and then move to the next town, make some more money, move to the next town. And so James frames it very specifically. You know, you who say tomorrow we'll go to this city or that city, spend, you know, 52 Monday through Fridays there making money, we'll carry on business, and then we'll leave. And as you know, reading from verse 14 and 15, this is not just, oh, by the way, I know people say this. This is a warning to you who say these sorts of things. Now, again, that's a very specific thing, but you can basically pull back from this and say, this is addressed to people who see their life as a series of goals and objectives. So this is about, for those of us in the room who, you know, look a year down the road and we make goals and plans and dreams and visions and we have a top five and a you know, bucket list and a 10 and whatever, it's for people who look down the road and say, I look at my life as a series of progressing objectives and goals. Now, there's the other side of the room that's like, I don't really know what I'm doing after church. It's my people right there. Uh, but most of us, are not that, I was going to say lazy, but that would be offensive to those of you who are lazy. (laughs) Equally offensive. Uh, But most of us take a look at life and we say, okay, this is what I want to do, this is what I want to accomplish, this is where I want to be in five, ten years. And so we start taking the steps to get there. Now, the, the, the problem with us reading backwards into this is that we would see it as like James is putting a prohibition on planning, but he's not. He's not interested in whether or not people are organized in their business life or their family life or their relational life. That's not the point. What James is setting up, as you'll see in the next verse, is it's a warning about getting into this behavior of planning your life out so much that what ends up happening, and if you look back in verse 13, your life becomes about bottom lines. And in this case, it's about making money. But you can just substitute that phrase with accomplishments, which again aren't bad things for sure. But if your accomplishments become the main thing, if they become the reason for your living, that's what James is bringing us to. And James is really doing what the Bible does from cover to cover, which is it kind of warns us and cautions us uh, to not confuse or misinterpret doing and being. It's a constant theme in the Bible. Like, we shouldn't confuse what we can do with who we are. Now, that's very tricky, and it's a hard balance because what we do comes out of who we are. But there's also the reverse, that we can do and become what we're doing. And so it's a very hard balance. And in the Bible, what we know, what we know about God is that He and I've said this before from the stage, so I'll just say it again. There's no worth, it's not worth like trying to reinvent it. But God does care less about what you do and more about who you are. And so the answer to the question, what does God want me to do with my life, might be the wrong question. At least it's the wrong first question. The right first question is, what kind of person does God want me to be? And then I'll enter into whatever it is that I'm going to do and take that with me. And then whatever it is that I'm doing will be impacted by who I am. That's what Paul says in Colossians, like, in whatever you do, in word or deed, which is basically everything, do it all in the name of Jesus. So he just doesn't even list, like, things. He just says, whatever it is that you end up doing, wherever you end up, you know, doing life, take who you are into that, 
and do it all for God. And so we know, again, reading backwards and we are backwards into this text, and we've read the whole thing, this is a warning about not ending up in a place where all that matters are my accomplishments. And that's a tough place to be. Look at verse 14. Again, this is the uplifting uh, verse. You don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist. And the, word, the Greek word for mist there means you're a mist. So that's a great translation. That appears for a little while, just like the spray out of a bottle, and then you can't find it. You're, you're gone. And so, <clears throat> sorry, go back to Luke 12. I don't have this page number for you on the screen, but you know what? You can scrap for it. It's a New Testament, third book, Matthew, Mark, Luke. James is the brother of Jesus, so you'll kind of see where he's getting this teaching from. It doesn't fall far from the tree. And in um, chapter 12, starting with verse 13, this, Jesus is teaching, and it says in verse 13, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me, which means their father has died. So Jesus replies, man, <laughs> that's the tone in which he replied. He's like, are you serious? He says, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? And then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. But isn't that how we see it? Look at all that I've done. Look at all that I've acquired and accomplished. Look at what I've built. Look at what I've designed. Look at what I can do. And the more we're successful, the worse it gets because it's like you start to think, I can do anything. And maybe you can. We have these people in our lives we just call golden boys. Like whatever they do, they just do it. And I'm more of like a scrapper. Like it takes me a long time to get something accomplished or at least to have a win. But some people in life, do you have these people in your life? It's like whatever they do, it just works. And like the sun's shining on them and you, wanna, you just want to get rid of them, you know? <laughs> And so Jesus' words here are to those sorts of people, but they're also to those of us who don't always succeed, because those of us who don't always succeed are, are usually more aware that we're not succeeding, and we're more frustrated by that. And so these words come right at us, all of us really, but really at those of us who really want success and accomplishments and so forth, those of us who struggle when we don't get those things. And what we hear Jesus saying is, look, that's not what your life is about. It doesn't consist in those things. And he goes on to tell this story. Look at verse 16. So he told him a parable, like he does. The ground of a certain rich man produced a great crop. I love how he begins this story, by the way. This man had the ground produced the crop. See, that's how it begins. Like, let's just start from where it happens. The man didn't do anything. The ground produces the crop. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? Where am I going to put all my cash Right? Then he said, the word's crop there, by the way, if you're not following. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. This guy's a smart guy. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. And then the economy crashed. Uh, <laughs> take life easy. Eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, and again, this is a parable, so Jesus is telling a story here. God said to him, you fool, 
This very night, your life will be demanded from you. In other words, you're going to die. It's over for you. Then, who will get what you have prepared for yourself? And then in verse 21, Jesus said, This is how it will be for anyone who stores up for himself but is not rich towards God. So it's, it's not an uplifting story, but it's a powerful story. Look at, uh, back up into Proverbs 27, right in the middle of the Bible. And the first two verses of this proverb are, are very profound, very heavy. And again, they echo the, the text from James. The writer says in verse 1, Do not boast or brag you know, about tomorrow. For you do not know what the, a day may bring forth. So again, it's like you don't really know what you're talking about when you're talking about tomorrow. So it's not about you bragging about tomorrow or anything that you may or may not accomplish tomorrow. And then in verse 2 it says, Let another, <clears throat> let another praise you, and not your own mouth, because we just love people who praise themselves. Like, don't do that. Someone else and not your own lips. So it's like, if you're successful, for those of you in the room, if you're the golden boy or the golden girl and everything you do just flies, let someone else praise you for that, is what he's saying. But again, for you and for all of us, backing up, but don't boast about what you're going to do or not do tomorrow. Back to James. So this is what he means when he says, you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. And your life, borrowing from the story that Jesus told about the rich man and all the barns and the crops, you may not make it. You're a mist. I mean, in the scope of history, you're just not even on the radar. So be careful. More of a lesson about humility. And of course, remember in verse 13, this is about bottom lines and accomplishments and goals and objectives and making your life only about those things which are not bad in and of themselves, but James is talking specifically to people who see the sum of their life within their own accomplishments. That's the idea. We used to pray in college like, um, I mean, it's true prayer. I went to school in Cincinnati and um, spent some time in Indiana. Anybody from Indiana? All right, buckle up. Literally, we would pray like, Lord, I'll go anywhere in the world but Indiana. Like, I just, <laughs> they, it, it just was a strained relationship. I'd go to these small towns with my friends. They didn't get me. I didn't get them. You know, I drove a Honda. It was weird. And um, so, like, just, Lord, any, I'll go anywhere but there. And then some friends were praying the same prayer, which was funny because all my friends ended up in Indiana, and I uh, came back here. But, um, but you have these things where you're like, all right, here, especially when you're in school, like if you're a college student, you just, you're thinking years and years, like I'm going to do this, or maybe you're not thinking at all. But for those of you who are with it, you know, you're thinking, I'm going to do this, and then this, and then this, and then we sort of have these plans, and then we come back to God, and we say, God, uh, here's the list. If you'll just sign off on it, that's all I need you to do. But James gives us a different kind of lesson. Look in verse 15. Instead... You ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. If it's the Lord's will, what does this mean? Let me give you three things here very quickly. 
One, it means what it says. If this is what God wants, then this will happen. God has that power. If it's in his will, then it'll happen. And so the prayer, or at least the, you know, the idea here is that if it's, if it's what God wants, then we'll go and do this. So it's this, it's this new attachment to any sort of plan that you make. So when you're making plans, very practical here, when you're making plans, this is the front-end attachment to those plans. If it's the Lord's will, then this will happen. Now, this is not a command, by the way. You, you don't need to say this every time you make a plan. Like, if it's the Lord's will, we're going to roasters after church today. And if it's the Lord's will, I'm going to get some good okra. And if it's the Lord's will, the tea is going to be awesome. And if it's the Lord's will, we're going to get a great seat. Like, you're going to drive everybody crazy, including God. And <laughs> so it's not that sort of thing, but it is this, be aware that when you're making plans and setting goals and objectives that there is a component that sometimes God just is like, that's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. But that's the first layer. The second layer is a little deeper. This is what James is giving us here is more of an ideal outlook on our efforts. That I want my plans and my visions and my dreams to be at the center of what God wants. That's the idea. So when I start making plans, this if it's the Lord's will is this demeanor in the planning process and the prayerful planning process of is this at the center of what God wants? Not for me, but for the world. It's not really that specific sometimes. It's, okay, I'm going to take this job, or I'm going to do this thing in this relationship, or I'm going to do this with my money. It is a good, powerful question to sort of ask yourself, like, is this maybe the center of God's heart? Is this what God would want? Now, let me warn you, the more you ask that question, the less you spend, the less you brag, the less you acquire. I mean, it's a very depressing thing for many of us. But the more you ask that question, you will find yourself answering it with, no, no, no. But three, and this is where we're going, ultimately, this thing that James is pulling us into is simply getting to a place, and please catch this, where we can handle life if it doesn't work out like we wanted it to. That's the main question. And if you want to write the question down and put quotes around it, it goes like this. Will you be okay if your dreams don't come true? Will you be okay if your plans don't work out? That's the question James is pushing us to. Because again, it starts in verse 13. Here's my plan. I'm going to go to New York, I'm going to live a year there and make a lot of money. And then we're hit with the reality, you know the plane may crash. What are you going to do then? Or maybe the tougher reality is, maybe you do go to New York and you make a lot of money for the, for the next year, then what? What's next for you? Then what? And then what? And then what? And then he draws us in and says, look, really the, the key thing here is, are you going to be okay if nothing works out? We have to ask that question. We have to constantly, keep, like, I, again, I've said this from the stage, I don't do premarital counseling anymore because it's just no good. However, what is good in those sessions is when they begin to tell me their dreams for their marriage, which I love to hear, and many of, many of those things come true, I'm sure, but it's just like we want to have this 
house in this neighborhood in this town, and we're gonna, he's going to get his master's, and we're going to have three kids, and they're gonna, all going to be well-behaved, because uh, I used to babysit, and I'm very good with children, and, um, and we're going to have this sort of, you know, life. And I listen, smile, and then I always say the same thing at the end. I'm like, okay, that's all great, but are you okay if none of that happens? Are you guys okay if she keeps having miscarriages? You're going to be okay. Are you, are you going to be okay if you can't get your master's? Are you going to be all right with that? Are you going to be okay if all these things don't work out and all you have is each other? Is that going to be enough? And of course, it's premarital counseling and they got the certificate and they need to get married, so they go, oh yeah, totally. We're, we're good. But just turn that into a spiritual conversation are you going to be fine? Like, is God going to be enough for whatever it is that you're missing? That's the question. Is he going to be enough for your marriage if nothing happens other than you just stay married? The, the other side of that is, is God going to be enough in your singleness? Is God going to be enough in your dead-end career? Is that going to be enough for you? I mean, you're just working in the rubber band factory. Is that Okay. Are you okay if it never gets any better? That's the question James is pulling us to. And ultimately, this is a lesson about that's rooted in Sabbath, which, of course, is an Old Testament practice of taking a day off. But there's so much to that. And without boring you or getting too deeply involved in the history of religion, uh, let me at least say this. Every religion has a creation story. I mean, you can find it. You know, just find a faith practice and dig back into their narratives, and you're going to find a story about how the world was created. And some of them are just amazing. But there's always the part where you and I were, there's always the part where people were created. There's always that part. And in every religion, in all their creation stories, people were created primarily to provide for the gods mainly in food, which I just find hard to take that gods are dependent on their creations to eat, which is weird. Um, you might want to get a new god if he doesn't live, if you don't feed him. That's just sort of just a thing. <laughs> or if he falls over and you have to pick him up, you've got to get a new god. Uh, so people were created to provide for the gods. That's across the board. And so this is why we have these sacrifices, you know, these people would just, and again, it's mostly about food, and so we're sacrificing crop and food and animal, and the gods eat it up somehow, they just eat it, they eat it, they burn it and they eat it. And um, the problem with that has always been that you never know, like, if your God's satisfied. You sort of know because you, you sacrifice to your God, and then you have a good crop next year, and boom, I must have, I must have given enough to my God. Uh, or uh, I sacrificed to my God and my wife got pregnant, so therefore my God is happy with me, but if she didn't get pregnant, he's very mad with me, and so I'll keep putting more and more on the altar. So the Genesis story comes along, and it's, it's, it's completely upstream. It's uh, creation does not provide for the creator, but the creator provides for his creation. That's the message of the Genesis story and throughout the scriptures that God sends the rain 
to grow the crops. And God provides the food for the animals. And God provides the breath of life into us. It's a totally different story. Then he says, oh, later in the, later in the scriptures, take a day off. Just rest. Uh, don't work. In the Babylonian culture, the, 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 the ratio of six to one was seen as bad luck. The seventh day was a bad luck day. And um, so you have that sort of thing going on in culture. And then you have the Israelites walking around on the seventh day not doing anything. And they're surviving. And they're living and they're eating. They're not dying because they're not working. The Romans thought the early Christian or the Jews were completely insane because they wouldn't work on the Sabbath. Made fun of them. But it was their outward display of God provides for us. We don't have to we don't have to toil all the time. He provides for us. And so the Sabbath is rooted in the truth that God provides for creation. We don't provide for him. We don't keep God going. He goes on his own. And he blesses us with life and the abilities to dream and to cast visions and to set goals and have objectives. But the balance there is always finding our ultimate rest in him, that he's our vision. Be thou my vision. And when the streets are jammed out here with people like, I've got to get here to get this thing from the certain store, it does beg the question every now and then, what are they, what are they looking for? What am I looking for when I go in there? One last quote from uh, C.S. Lewis, and we'll uh, close. We're going to close with a time of prayer today for one of our people, uh, which I'll explain in a second. But human history is the long, terrible story of man trying to find something other than God which will make him happy. And what Lewis means there is all of these anxieties and, and anguish over lost dreams, when at the end of the day, we were created to find what we need in God. So it's really a Sabbath sort of thing. And we're called to ask God for whatever we need or even what we perhaps want. But what James is pushing us to is to be okay if we never get those things. And that if all we get is God, then that's enough. Make sense? I mean, it's a lifelong thing. I mean, you're not going to leave here going, check, got that. It's a lifelong transition into that lifestyle and relationship with God. Um,